be included in a day that would just be perfect, that you'd like to keep and live again in the future? What would be the elements of that? Or, or maybe really better said, what would be like your perfect season? Because sometimes a day isn't long enough. Um, sometimes a day, a perfect day might just be, I just want to relax all day. Um, we really need more than that, though, don't we? We need a day that has meaning to it, where we do some meaningful things that maybe even be tiring. We we encounter some incredible relationships. We have a lot of fun, hopefully, right? It's a joyful time. It's a beautiful time. We all kind of have that vision of what our perfect day might be. So today we're going to talk about paradise. And I want us to think about the paradise God created and the paradise we'll enjoy in heaven. But while we're doing that, I want you to be thinking about how much paradise can we have here on earth? Is there a measure, a part, a portion of paradise that we should be enjoying in these days? Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And as you know, we preach through major sections of Scripture, and we are in Genesis. We'll be in Genesis for a while. And we're in our third week, and we're on chapter 2, so I feel like we're moving along at a good pace. And it may not take us two and a half years like it did with Acts, but... uh, I'm excited about Genesis and the narrative God gives us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 says this. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is the beginning of the description of what happens with God's creation. Chapter 1 describes God making the earth, heavens and earth. It's six days of creation. And the first part of chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is Sabbath. It's the seventh day day so that's kind of the overview this is how it happened this is what God did and now the the things are set everything's set up for history to really begin at this point it's kind of like if you were reading a book to one of your kids and it starts out you know um, oh I just forgot it how do all the little kids once upon a time thank you just went out of mind remember like once upon a time in the land of whatever right Well, this is the beginning of the history of creation. And this line where it says these are the generations of usually begins a a a genealogy where it tells us this is the these are the children of Abraham, all the people that came after. Well, this is kind of the 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 beginning of the genealogy of the earth. This is what happens with the heavens and the earth that God created. So that's chapter verse four, verses uh, five through seven. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils his breath of life, and the man became a living creature." Now, this takes us to the setting of about day six. If you're familiar with creation, you know that on day six, God created man. And so what's happened here is where they were in this kind of God has created the vegetation. He's created uh, everything else except for man. And the earth is kind of moist. There's this sense of there's no rain that's falling yet. And so there's no, when it talks about the shrubs or the small plants, what it's referring to are things that need to be cared for. And he says there's no man to take care of them, no man to till the ground yet. So those God hasn't separated out or brought into being in a way that would be producing uh, food and and bountiful things 
And so God has not done that yet. And he says at that time, there was a mist that went up from the earth. And I don't know, are we talking about irrigation system like at your house in the middle of the night, it pops up and it waters the ground? Maybe there's just kind of a, the, the, the atmosphere at this point is very different because we haven't had that great flood that's going to happen with Noah when really the waters of the atmosphere kind of break forth and the earth breaks forth and all this water comes out. The earth is very soft at this point. It's very wet. Um, and that's kind of the setting. And the, the specifics of the Garden of Eden haven't been made yet. And it's at this point that God builds a man. Says he makes him out of the earth, out of the ground, and literally his name is Adam or Adam, or uh, and it and the earth is called Adama. So it's kind of like your name, man or humans is dirt. You guys are dirt, and we'll find out next week as we talk about the fall of man that from the dirt you you came and from the dirt you will return. So God created man. It's a really amazing thing here that he doesn't do with any other part of creation. Very personal. God breathes life. God breathes life into him. He breathes this breath of life, and God places in man a eternal spirit. Sounds very familiar to when Jesus in John chapter 20, um, he's already been crucified. He's already resurrected. He's about to ascend, and and Jesus breathes on his disciples. And notice he says, receive the Holy Spirit. At creation, we received our spirit, but when Jesus came, he delivers the Holy Spirit. I love that, that idea and that picture. Do you realize that you have an eternal spirit right now? You are not just flesh and blood. You have an eternal spirit within you. And that's really what we have to wrestle with. We are, we're not just animals. We have a spirit. We have a choice to make in everything that we do. And I love how Revelation 3.20 describes it. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Always this sense of God's pursuit of his creation. And he says, he's just talking to a church here in Revelation 3.20. He's talking to the church of Laodicea, and he's saying, hey, guys, I'm actually on the outside. You ever felt that way? God's actually on the outside. You may be a follower of Jesus, but you feel distant, and he's actually at the door. And maybe you shut him out. But his spirit's at the door, and he's knocking. I want back in. I want us to have fellowship with him. That's how you were created. You have a spirit. And his spirit wants to have communion with you and your spirit. So God made a man in verse 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that was pleasant in the sight, in, to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just a lot in these two verses. God planted 
and then God placed, and then God produced. God planted this garden, and the way this is written, it seems like the the plants were planted, and then God placed man in the garden so he could watch the plants produce, that God caused them to produce. It's a really cool thing. You see, God is already at work in the garden before he puts Adam there. Really important principle for us to get. Wherever God has placed you, be sure that God is already at work He's already doing stuff. The plants are already planted, and God puts the man there as if to say, listen, these are the plants that you're going to propagate, that you're going uh, to work, that you're going to help grow and develop. I'm demonstrating this for you so you can replicate what I've done. He places him in the garden. He plants the garden, he places him in the garden, and then he produces in the garden. And in the midst of the garden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life and the tree of the the knowledge is in the midst, in the middle, in a place where he would have seen them. It would have seen them probably every day. There's always this choice, the representation of the law, the knowledge of good and evil, and of the tree of life. And we'll get to more of that in just a minute. It's interesting that God has done this in what seems to be an actual place, a geographical place with boundaries. It's not just a mystical place, and it's not just something that's in our minds. It is a physical place, the way the language is written. Verse 10 continues the description. It says this, And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, and the name of the first is the Kishon, And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. And Bedellium and Onyx Stone were there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Again, there are a sense of real, real names, real places, right? So when you see that in scripture, when there's real names, it's usually real people or, or names of places, it's real geography. And so this, this land is filled with this beautiful stream of water. Uh, we don't know where those first two rivers are. Maybe they don't exist anymore. Maybe after the flood they cease to exist. But we do know the Euphrates uh, River and the Tigris River, they still exist today. So again, Eden is a real place, and it also has real boundaries. It's a, it's a place that's flowing with lots of water. It's a, it's a refreshing. It's not not easy to be hydrated. And in this land is gold, bedellium, and onyx. There is beauty, things of intrinsic value. And these things also point to the existence of God as they're used in the temple and the tabernacle. It's a part of worship. The uh, onyx is a part of the ephod that the priest would wear, the 12 tribes on it. And so it's always pointing back to the presence of That's what Eden was like. It's an incredible paradise made for humans. It's a place of beauty. It's a place with bountiful food, plenty to eat. And and he's giving man a role, an important job, to keep and take care of and propagate this garden. In fact, I believe that because there's boundaries of the garden, because God told him to, to, uh, 
multiply and subdue the earth, but he is saying, I want you to expand this garden to fill the entire earth. I've shown you what it looks like. I want you to work with me to continue to expand this garden. You say, well, that's really nice, Steve. That's nice. But what does that have to do with today? We're not in paradise, even though we call South Florida paradise. We all know that it's nice, but it's not perfect. And what has God given us? What has God given me? Is there a paradise for me? You know, the follower of Jesus, he said you could have peace no matter what else is going on. And I know there's a lot of other stuff John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Could you have peace today? Could you be Could you know peace or is anxiety just going to dominate you tonight? Jesus said, expect tribulation, but in me, you have peace. Well, the assignment also includes a warning. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God says, listen, go ahead, and I want you to make this garden expand, make it go everywhere. It's going to be incredible. I want you to do this. We're going to work together with this. You're going to be my representative. It's going to be incredible. There's only one rule. There's only one rule. How many rules do you have in your house right now? How many rules do you have? God has one rule. Don't eat of that tree. A lot of people ask, well, what in the world is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What is that? What does that even mean? It seems crazy. And, and by the way, what kind of fruit is that? I mean, is it like really good fruit? Because I keep hearing it's an apple. And I don't think eating an apple is worth disobeying God. It's got to be better than that. And I don't know what kind of fruit it is. It doesn't really matter. But it was attractive. We'll talk about that more next week. There's only one rule. But what is the knowledge of good and evil? What is that? And I think that Paul really addresses it best in Romans 7. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. That's the whole argument that Paul makes about sin. Here's what he's saying. Listen, if there was never, if we'd never eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we wouldn't know what sin is. We wouldn't even know that it's sin. But the law says it's sin. But the law Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is saying to God, I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what you've told me to do. The tree of life is a tree that you eat of and you continue to live. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is saying, I want to go my own way. And that's really what, the, what it's all about. That's in the middle of 
garden. And you might say, well, it's in the middle of the garden. That just seems kind of cruel to constantly put that out there, that every day he walks by that to get to the tree of life, and he sees this opportunity to disobey God. Is it, or is it just a reminder to make sure you make the decision that you can see? Is it maybe a blessing that every day he defines who you are? See, not knowing God's law is not a blessing. It's a blessing to know, God, this is the guardrail. This is the road I need to go on. This is the way I stay safe as I stay away from that tree. And every day, Adam has to make that choice. You know, there's always a choice in paradise, isn't there? Even on the best day, you still have the choice to ruin it. Even in the best place, in the best setting, you still can be miserable. You've heard me tell the story before, but it's appropriate here. When we were had those little kids that were chaotic, that are now grown up to be wonderful, our, I think it was your mom came and stayed with the kids, and we went to the Bahamas. And it was going to be paradise because there was going to be no kids. It was going to be paradise. It was going to be on the beach. It was going to be awesome. But we got there. And we got this horrible room. And this buzzer went off every minute. You just about go to sleep, and all of a sudden it would go, bzzz, and wake you up. And the bathtub like didn't have a finish on it. It was all rusted out. And I kept going on and on about how terrible this was. And my wife said, honey, this is awesome. We have our own space. My mom will take care of it. Do you have a choice in paradise? Do you have a choice? follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a choice to experience some paradise in his peace or to go your own way and die. Do you have a choice in Jesus? Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Understand what Adam's doing. He is doing what God gave him to do, to be his representative, to manage his creation. And God is bringing him the animals to name them. Now, this is not like naming your cat or dog, spot, whatever you want to call it. This is to name something biblically is to have great knowledge of it, to have studied it, and to be able to have authority over it. So Adam is doing what he's called to do. He's showing up for work. He's doing what, what God gave him to do. And in the midst of that, he studies these animals, and he goes, I'm, I'm picking up on something. These animals have their own kind of flesh, and they each have their own kind of flesh. And, and some of them may look a little bit like me, but there's nothing like me. And they also have male and female, and I don't have that. It's just me, a male, and I don't even know how am I going to possibly multiply like God told me to do. And so here's the thing. In God's assignment, Adam discovers he needs help. Have you been there? Has God given you an assignment where you go, oh, wow, I need help? 
see, what you do at that moment tells everything what you believe about God. A lot of times we say, well, God, there's no way I can do that. I can't, there's no way I can do that. I can't do it. You know, we just walk away. But really, when you are obedient to God, you are going to have victory. And that's why the church is so awesome. That's why we have members and new members. That's why we have roles and we constantly want to develop leaders because we want others to know the joy of serving in God's kingdom, just like Adam. Let me just tell you, God has given you an assignment that is too big for too big of an assignment to raise a child. You need help. You need a lot of help. Too big of an assignment to be married. It, you need a lot of help. Too big of an assignment to make a disciple. You need help. It's in the process of doing what God calls us to do that we go, I need help. I need help. And Adam recognized his need for help. If Adam didn't show up for work, I don't know that he would have ever known how much help he really needed love how God does that. God could have created Adam at the same time, but instead, he created Adam, and he let him know that he needed help. Isn't life much better that way? Some of you are sitting there going, I need a lot of help, and I don't know where I'm going to get the help. We need to be in prayer about that and reaching out to your brothers and sisters. I need help. I need help. The fact that you need help is is a message from God. You need to look for it reach out who can help who can help me walk with him who can help me deal with the stuff i'm dealing with who can help me life is so much better that way than it is to live by yourself to be all just dependent on yourself self-sufficient life's better that way and so god creates help in genesis 2 21 the lord god called a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, that's where my missing rib went. Make sure you all listen. It's not just us. <laughs> hey, you took my rib. Or hey, you look like a rib. No, that's not what we should do there, Chris. Man, don't you have a case for ribs right now, though? Don't you, wouldn't you just really baby backs, slow cooked, 235 degrees for four hours? And that's what I'm talking about right there. The man said, I love this. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. It's incredible. He sees this as someone who's like me. And often you'll see couples who who God is drawing together in marriage because, you know, I never knew someone like me in that way. But this is much deeper than that because Adam's like, man, no one has my flesh. No one's made out of the stuff that I'm made of. And now I know you came out of me. So you're the you're the same flesh as me. And it had to be such a joyful thing after dealing with all those rotten, stinking animals for so long. Now there's one who's made out of the same stuff. Some people make a big deal of where the rib was taken, where the the flesh was taken from, if it was from the rib. And um, there's some validity to that. I think the the best you can say is some people say, well, you know, it's it's his rib. It it covers his heart. You know, maybe. 
more so it wasn't taken out of his head so that it would rule him, and it wasn't taken out of his foot so that he would stomp on it. Rather, it was taken out of his side and so they would walk together side by side. That would be a better picture. Don't read too much into it because the biggest point is she's like me. You gave me what I needed. You gave me someone, the only one, who was like me. You gave me someone that is my complement. She's not the exact same as them. Rather, God put them together in a way that they can fit together and become one flesh where they can multiply. So she was a helper fit for him. Sometimes women cringe at that idea of helper, but know this, Deuteronomy 33, 7 and other places, God is the helper of Israel the same way. If God could be a helper, I think we should be joyful to be a helper. See, we need help. Let me just tell you, guys, in a lot of cases, you need help. And ladies, you need to help. Figure it out. If you're going to get married to someone, you need to figure out how you can help them. And guys, you need to figure out where you need help. Really important. That's why we talk about complementary relationships in marriage. You're not the same. The roles aren't the same. They're of equal value. But they're not the same roles. They're complementary. This passage closes in verse 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Really weird verse for us. You know, just I just it's just hard to get your head around. Don't think about it too long. But understand that. Think about ribs. Go back. Think about ribs. Um, when I read this as a kid, I'm like, this is just weird. Um, but understand what it, nakedness meant simply in, in the Old Testament culture. And so it says they were naked and they didn't feel the need to cover talk about this more next week when we talk about Adam and Eve's response to sin. But when you are guilty, you have to cover. And they are basically uncovered because they're not guilty. And they're clothed. Let me just ask you, is there something you need to cover up? Something you're feeling like, I don't want anyone to know. I don't even want God to know. Something that you're covering up before him today. Say, well, I've sinned. I've sinned this week, and I, I feel like i got to cover up. But listen, you don't need to cover up anymore when you come to Jesus because his blood covers you. We live in a repentant life, and that means that you're coming before God on a regular, at least daily basis, saying, God, I want to repent of my sin or my sins of my thought, my sins of action, the sins of my life. I want to I repent of that. I don't want to hide from you. I don't want to hide from you. I don't want to keep eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I, I want to know you. That's how I want to live my life. You see, I, I would contend that we look forward to heaven where the tree of life reappears in heaven. Revelation 22, we see the tree of life come back and we get to have access to it all the time. I think there's some paradise there forward to heaven that there's some peace that God offers today. Jesus said in Mark 1:15 he says he says the kingdom is the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel in other words I've already started my kingdom 
this new paradise I'm going to build, I've already begun that. You should enjoy Kingdom of God's kingdom today as your priority. I love Paul describes it as the peace that passes understanding. The peace that doesn't make any sense. The peace that doesn't require your circumstances to be perfect. The peace that can only be attributed to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why Paul later says in Ephesians 5, he says, don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Usually you can tell that they're drunk. It's not that hard. They're different. And some people get drunk in order to feel better or to not feel what they usually feel. Paul's saying, listen, instead of that, you ought to be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you will be way better and way happier, and it'll be more obvious than even if you were drunk. God provides that level of paradise here on earth. You can live that. You can live in a way that people, you can't miss it. That the spirit is within people. That they'll one day be in paradise. So let me ask you, what might be in the way of that? Say, I can't live that way until. Until my life improves. Until someone else in my life shakes up. I'm in too much pain. I have too much fear. I have too much anxiety. Or I'm afraid of losing what I have. something that's holding you back from receiving that kind of confirmation that I am filled with the Spirit. You see, God plants. He's already planted stuff around you. He places you in a position to experience that produce and and participate in it growing. He, He produces amazing things with beauty Let me just tell you, when I look at our church and I see what God is doing, when I see new members, when I see young people coming to Christ and loving Jesus, when I see older adults stepping forward and taking roles, it's incredible. There's things that God is doing that we get to participate in. God plants and he places you in position to participate in blessing. What's God doing around you? What is he planning? can you help it grow? How can you help it grow? Who else do you need? You can't do this on your own. Who else do you need to be with? What produce do you see? Whose lives is God changing? Who's he drawing to himself? And what is God saying no to? What has he said no to? You know, he only says no to things that you from enjoying the paradise of heaven. That's keeping you, that's keeping you from being all that he wants to you to be and for you having the life that he's built for you. You see, it's it's really up to us which tree we're gonna eat from. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Right? He said, He said, 
I have exactly what you need if you eat from my tree. But if, on the other hand, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you go your own way, you're going to miss the paradise that I want to give you. Don't miss out on that paradise. Some of you may be saying, you know, Steve, I, I don't think I've ever actually received that paradise. I'd like to know that too. I'd like to know that paradise, that little piece of paradise that I can have that looks forward to heaven. I'd like to know what that's like. I'm going to urge you to look for that. Just say, yes, I choose that. I choose to forgive me of my sin. I want your spirit to come into my life. Would you make that move today? And some of the rest of you are saying, you know what, I'm not living. I know I used to live happier. I used to live more with the spirit. And I just haven't for a long time. Would you start today? Simply saying, God, I repent of my sin. I know you can clean me up. And I want your spirit to be in me so much that people go, man, I know you're not drunk, but you sure are miss what God has for you. Some of you maybe say, you know what, I've already done, I've already received Jesus, but I've not been baptized. I would love to do that. I'd love to meet you tonight at the the ocean. Don't miss the paradise that God has for you. Heavenly Father, we confess that even though you've created such wonderful things for us, even though you have given us your son, Jesus, and you've given us your spirit that knocks on the door that sometimes we don't let him in. God, sometimes we're worried you're going to change our lives in ways that we may not approve, but God, that's so silly. You're the God who loves us. You're the God who created paradise. You're the guy who's recreating paradise, and we'll have a new heaven and new earth one day, and you sent your son to pay our way into it, Lord. Oh, let us not miss Take advantage of that. May we live in the reality of your paradise. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you stand with us as we sing?
Thank you so much for being a part of worship today. Uh, last week, we voted in 20 new members, and we have some here we want to present to you. And we do this to embarrass them. That's why we do this. No, we do this to celebrate all that God is doing among us. So Tommy and Chandra Wolfarth and Brian Greenleaf, you can meet us down here in front, and uh, that would be amazing. We've so. got all the names up here on the screen. We voted these in, and so between last Sunday and this Sunday, the 930, the 11 o'clock service, Everyone's now been presented so you can get to know them a little bit. And so many of them have already kind of dived into. Chandra was at the women's brunch yesterday and served as one of our table hostesses. She's been involved in women's ministry, children's ministry. She's a soloist. We're so blessed to have she and Tommy as part of our church now. They come from the big Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. And uh, Tommy it was uh, retired. Somebody um, else from Memphis? He had been in... Uh, a career officer with the National Guard and been deployed multiple times to Iraq. He's been involved in emergency management, which is going to be a huge help for our hospitality team. He does golf course management now, and uh, so we're so glad to have Chandra and Tommy Walfarth with us. And then Brian Greenlee has officially joined the church. He was raised Baptist, came to Christ and baptized as a kid, and um, now is a student at Florida Atlantic University on the Owls basketball team. Oh, wow. We're in the final four this last year. <laughs> this is his last year of eligibility, so try to go to as many games as you can. It's super fun when you know a starter on the team. <laughs> he is wanting to grow in leadership, and as a guard for the basketball team, you can see on the court that's how God's gifted him. And he has reached out to Steve multiple times to meet for coffee. Teach me as pastor how to share my faith and how to grow as a Christian leader. That's what discipleship's all about. That he wants to learn from the older ones in the church and share it with his own peers. So that's such a blessing to us to have Brian um, uh, officially a member. Amen. Thank you so much. We're so excited about what God is doing. If you're interested in church membership, see Julie or I. 
don't miss tonight's baptism if you're interested in baptism. We can still talk about that between now and then. Six o'clock tonight. Be there maybe 15 minutes early. Uh, now, it's going to be some waves out there, but it's going to be fun and exciting. Six o'clock. And, and if, you're a, if you're a young adult between the age of 18 and 30, this service this Friday night is going to be awesome. Club Regal. Don't miss that here at 640. Pray for us. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We don't have any ability, Lord. We've just been placed here, and you've already been at work, and we're thrilled to see the produce that you're allowing us to be a part of. God, bless these who've joined our church. Bless what they're going to do and what they're going to accomplish and continue to bring people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come down and greet them, shake them in the name of the Lord, and welcome them and all that. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you, man.